Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. In this episode, I'm joined by Ada Guan, who is one of the most innovative minds in the field of credit decisioning. She is the CEO and co-founder of Rich Data Co., a company that helps lenders make informed and accurate credit decisions by leveraging AI and machine learning. Listen in as Ada sheds light on the role that AI and machine learning can play in transforming the lending industry and what the future may hold for credit decisioning. In this episode, we'll discuss Ada's entrepreneurial journey, the typical pain points lenders face and how Rich Data Co's unique AI solution solves these problems, what makes Rich Data Co's solution unique, and why banks should buy rather than build, how to find product market fit for an AI product, the additional benefits an AI solution brings or traditional scorecards or rules-based decision engines, and much more. Let's get to it. Here's Ada. Ada Guan, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you, Jonas. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it is a really interesting show that we had ahead of us because there is so much happening in the space of AI and banking and credit decisioning, and we're going to cover exactly how you and your business interact with that. And I've given a bit of an intro already to you as a person, but we do want to hear it all from you yourself. So perhaps could you start by telling us a bit about yourself, your career background and what you do? Yeah, thank you, Jonas. So I'm a computer engineer and I have migrated to Australia many, many years ago now, 1997. So I have completed my master for computer engineering here and then have been working across multiple industries. Started from consulting, then retail, banking, software industries, and uh, we founded RDC about seven years ago. So with three co-founders, Charles Gordon and Michael. Yes, you've had quite a long corporate career before you became an entrepreneur. And now you are the CEO and co-founder of RDC, so Rich Data Co. Could you tell us what the company does and what kinds of problems you solve for your customers? Yeah, sure. So RDC purpose is around leveraging AI and drive financial inclusion. So if we're looking at the credit gaps between the, what the banks offer and the, what the business really needs, significant or tremendous, I think, globally. So in only looking at Australia data, there are 90 billion credit gaps and for business which has a turnover between 1 million to 20 million. So I think that was the industry research done last year. 
And the banks actually really wanted to lend to more businesses, and the business really desperately need, needing the funding in order to grow. And a small business is the backbone of the economy, right? So what RDC is really trying to do is how can we use data and AI to help banks to get a deeper understanding of the business behavior and uh, to help banks to lend more to more businesses. So you say there's a 19 billion credit gap. So this is the demand that is not being supplied because we struggle to assess the credit worthiness in an appropriate fashion. Is that pretty much the nutshell? Yeah, exactly. So there's a 90 billion gap, but because of lack of understanding and lack of capability to understand the demand and uh, or the, the risk associated with the business and the banks can't learn to the business and uh, however they actually do have the deposit they do have the funding to be able to s- cover the credit gap so the interesting question is are the new technology and capability can be provided to banks which when they feel safe and secure and uh, to actually provide a credit to the much needed businesses uh-huh. I want to dive deeper into that but before we get to that I actually want to hear a little bit more about you because I find it interesting that you've had this long corporate career and you were a computer engineer or subject for engineer, as you said. And then at some point you've decided to become an entrepreneur with your co-founders. Could you tell us about that moment or those series of events that made it the right thing for you as a person to do, but also that you wanted to jump on this opportunity that is now RDC? Yeah, of course. So it's not an easy decision to make to step away from the corporate life. So at the time, I was working for Oracle and uh, working in one of the global team in Oracle, so covering the largest account Oracle has. So it's a global team working with highly intelligent people internationally, traveling the world and uh, interacting with the board and the CEO level right, of very large companies. So it is a quite exciting opportunity. I was learning a lot. One thing then I realized is really a reflection around the purpose in terms of what do I try to do with my own life and where do I want to go from there. The purpose become clear in terms of I wanted to do more and with technology and be able to use technology to help more people. I think that reflection or realization triggered me so I will be able to achieve a bigger impact by doing creating a startup with my co-founders versus working in large corporate. But I didn't quite realize how difficult it was <laughs> I think at the time. But... <laughs> yeah, there's a, some sort of Steve Jobs quote or comment from many years ago that I'm going to completely ruin, but he said something to the effect of any person who starts a new company is foolish or an idiot or something like that. No one in their right mind would do it because it's so hard and it's very unlikely to pay off. But yet we do it and you've done it. So yeah. 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 It's a little bit like having children, right? So you never quite know what you're getting yourself into. You're full of hope and full of anticipation goes into it. It's tremendously hard, but it's also the most rewarding things you could possibly do. So I think doing staff in many ways is the same thing. You not quite know what you're getting yourself into. Failure rate is high. You have very little resources and you're quite constantly exhausted and by carrying a huge load, which are a lot, it's probably much larger than you could possibly do in your corporate life. On the other side of the coin, it's extraordinarily rewarding and in terms of the sense of achievement and the, you, what you can accomplish, the team you build 
and the people you have, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, I can imagine. And the other similarity with having children is just like a child is a very useless blob when it comes out and needs a lot of protection is and is very fragile. So it's the business, basically nothing when you start and it takes many years to raise the business like it does a child. Yeah. So it's not a five-minute job. So you you are three co-founders. What? How did the three of you come together on this particular idea? Because you obviously had this entrepreneurial desire that you wanted to live out. But the one thing is that. The other thing is finding the right thing to point your energy to and then also the right team. The honest answer is it took us a while to find the right problem to solve. And we did come together with a strong belief of data and AI is changing the world. We wanted to solve an issue which is what solving can really impact many people's life. So in terms of the early things we have done, if I can tell you, the first thing we have done is actually selling smart home product into Vietnam. And which was quite extraordinary if you're thinking about back in 2016 and we found a factory start manufacturing start to do that. And the, the core reason for that is the strong belief the data generated by everything around us and that will help us to get much deeper understanding of individuals, families, and in the case of what we're doing in our business. So that belief on the data and the AI hasn't changed, although we have finally, I think, on the right path of solving an issue worth solving and also we can solve well. Yeah, okay. So you, you were on the path to doing something with technology and AI. It was just what was the right thing. Yeah, exactly. So you've now ended up with using AI for credit decisioning. So at some point you would have jumped at that opportunity. What were the, I suppose, the credit decisioning pain points that you are trying to solve for lenders and customers? And how do you help solve these? What were the, the things that you saw in the market where you saw an opportunity to, to really make a difference? Yeah. So if you look at the credit decisioning space, and especially in the area we're working in, is mainly business lending, right? So the platform itself can cut across multiple industries, but we decided to really focus in on one particular issue and solve it really, really well, and which is the business lending issue, and especially for small to medium-sized business. The reason for that, we realized current method using credit assessment was defined in 1950s. And so very much based on statistic model, very much based on credit history, which is a method of really looking back. So we our curiosities and now with a lot more data now exist compared to the 1950s about individuals in about business, there's a lot more progress in AI, especially I think we have seen the recent change and how quickly GPT is moving. So the acceleration of AI, it was quite significant, right, in the last few years. The question was, okay, if we see a massive credit gap, and that tells us the existing method uh, looking back and uh, are not quite sufficient on closing the gap, are there something else we can do? Can we actually use AI to understand be more around the behavior? Instead of just looking back, can we look back, still need it, but can we look at present and especially can we look into the future? So that perhaps touched on one of the core capability we have built out over the years, which is a cash flow forecasting capability of the platform, which is to looking at all the past transactions 
uh, business might have, let it be banking transaction, could be open banking, could be accounting data, and how to use that to understand the cash flow strength going forward. So this type of capability then start become quite important in terms of helping banks to look into the future and make lending decision based on forward-looking versus just looking back. Uh-huh. So your target market for your solution is lenders, banks, for instance. But within that, the, the target market for the product is this small to medium-sized business. What is it about that particular segment that makes it so underserviced? There's the, there's the methodology, as you said, is pretty outdated. But are there any other characteristics that make it so hard to assess the credit of that segment? Yeah, great question. So if we're looking at many AI companies in the world, right, on solving a credit decision issue, majority of the AI company are staying in the consumer lending area. The key reason for that is in consumer lending, there's a large volume of data. So the machine learning method actually works quite well, which we can do as well. However, I think if you look across, there are standard methods you can use and to get your reasonably good outcome. Business lending on the other side, we, we saw and quite fascinating is it's not a big data issue, it's a small data issue. And a couple of things, right? So you can't look at retail industry the same way you look at an agriculture business. So then for a bank, when they start cutting down different segments and sub-segments, and the number of data sets is actually relatively small. So you no longer have millions of records. So that perhaps is one thing. So the AI technique you use well for large volume of data actually doesn't go that well with small data. So that perhaps one. Second one is the risk for business lending is actually high and complex. So Normally for consumer lending, you can use one or two models to get your outcome. For business lending, because there are different facets of the risk, and the one machine learning model is not sufficient. You need layers of machine learning model, and then you need to connect that into your decision flow in order to get your lending outcome. So the complexity and the small data issue and the making that particular difficult issue to solve. And I think that's where we quite specialize in and we accumulated a lot of IP in that domain. Uh-huh. So perhaps could you give us an example to sort of crystallize it for listeners on of what is sort of the typical difference in the way that you'd credit assess for a, a private individual versus a, a small business? And, and what are these sort of the features of the risk that are, that are different? Yeah. So uh, we often describe it as almost like if you imagine a database table, right? So for a consumer, um, you have more roles, so more records of the, the consumer perhaps has less attributes about individuals and in terms of the data available. For a business, there are many different data around a business. For example, you would need to look at the directors, need to look at cash flow, and there's a whole bunch of different things you look at a business. So in a way, there are more columns of that table, but less roles. So the AI technique you use cannot just limit to machine learning. So one thing we, we're very focusing on is how the machine and the human can interact. 
So we use two techniques and the human plus machine travel technique and the combining machine learning with human knowledge, so bankers' knowledge, to get to the accuracy needed. And if we go deeper, there are IP around transfer learning, which is to really solve the issue when there's not sufficient data. So there's a whole bunch of research we have done in terms of how to solve a small data issue are highly relevant also in this particular domain. Yeah, interesting. One element is this sort of determining what is the actual legitimate risk profile of the business as it pertains to the industry that it's in, the products and services that it sells, but also the individuals that are the custodians of that, the executives and so on. And I suppose, as I sit here and think, there's another large element to it, which is if a private person is borrowing a large amount, typically they have a property as collateral against it, whereas for a business, it might not be a secured lending in the same way, or there's no sort of a, a recourse. And the bank might not be the first person to get the money back if the business goes down and so on. So, so all those things as well, is that fair to say? Yeah, the risk is higher and in terms of lending to business versus lending to individual and it's more complex and compared to looking at consumer-based lending. Either secure or unsecure, and I think it's quite similar. Bear in mind, a lot of business lending is done through talk to the business owners and they say, give me your home and I'll lend accordingly. And uh, so that part, I think, started to change, which we're quite excited to see. Yeah, okay. So if you can avoid actually having someone, a business founder, putting up their own private items as collateral, then that's a good thing. Yeah. So you as a company have a catchphrase of being the AI brain for a bank. So I'm interested in what sits behind that statement. So what, what what's so unique about your solution and why should banks use you rather than build their own solution or program? So perhaps a couple of things. One that we have touched on early on is around how focused we are in terms of solving one issue and one issue only, and which is credit decisioning for business lending. So if you look at a bank from end to end, there's a lot of area I think they can apply technology and AI for, and that they need to be solved and that they should be solved. So if you look at uh, RDC, we're very focused so perhaps it's point one. And the second one is really the speed to value is the second point. So it's not saying everything we do can't be recreated and the, the bank cannot rebuild it. They possibly can. And however, the speed to value and having all the elements in one area, this brain, important. To give you an example, we're currently helping a major bank in the region and uh, to launch a new cash flow-based lending product into the market. So I think you'll see the product coming to the market in the next few months. For that, that's a new, new, completely new product and only ever been offered by FinTech. And we help the banks to be able to put the product into the market in about six months' time, right? Which are, in a way, quite extraordinary of having the bank moving at the speed of a fintech. So having some of the core elements together and be able to help banks to accelerate their innovation is the things we're quite focusing on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely is a big competitive lever, I can see, for, for anyone who's worked in banking, especially large corporations. Six months is typically the time it takes to, to just get the go ahead to, to start thinking about the project, not not completing it. Yeah. So there's, there's a few things here I'm, I'm quite interested in. But first of all, one thing is developing algorithms and et cetera. Right? So the, the maths behind things. 
The other thing is developing a product or a solution around that, right? So that's the, the user experience element to it. And the final details to just make it a plug and play solution for a bank versus a, another clunky application that kind of does what it should, but not quite. And there is a lot of work in getting that right. So what have you done and how have you made sure that you had the right product market fit? How did you test that and how did you sort of iterate through that exercise? So perhaps let me take one step back and looking at why it is so difficult for banks to apply AI in, especially in the business lending space. So if you look at field requirements, the bank looking at the AI platform to meet, right, are three key things. One is accuracy. I think we spent some time talks through that, how to get to your accuracy for a small data set. The second and third one are equally important, if not more important, which is around the transparency and the compliance. So banks is a very heavily regulated industry. And the, the transparency AI has to be able to demonstrate and achieve are difficult to do. So for us, we have invested very heavily what we, into what we call glass box AI capability, which is to allow the banks to really look into the decision the AI platform made. So we describe that as a self-describing decision. That means every decision can be inspected at any point of time to achieve the transparency and the compliance requirements. So if you say the product, one of the key thing we have focusing on is really investing into that capability because for a bank to use an AI platform without that capability, no matter how accurate the results are, the bank just can't use it. So the typical black box approach of many AI platform, the banks can't use, especially in the credit decisioning space. And that part has to have that transparency attached to it. And in terms of testing the product and the market fit, so we have been servicing leading banks in this market. So we're quite fortunate to have the chance to work with the banks to really innovating in the space and testing that out. And also working with partners to take the product in, into other international markets. So I think it's really the test and the innovate together and the find out where is the best place to apply the technology and how to learn from that, I think was the opportunity we had. So there must have been a point here where you're looking for someone to collaborate with to actually really get this right. Because I assume you start out with an idea, but you have no data and you need someone with substantial data to actually to play this out. I'm actually reminded of, if you just indulge me for a second, when I worked in banking, I did a study trip to visit one of these other startups, banking startup, which was sort of touted as as the four bells and whistles, and they were building the perfect banking platform from scratch, which a few of us were, were jealous of because that's what we wanted. We were trying to constantly implement and transform, you know, the classic transformation project where you're trying to replace an old banking platform with a new, and it's it's very hard to do. And we said, oh, we can't believe you've built all this. It's so good. And it just does everything we want. And the answer was, yeah, we, well, guess what? We're actually a little bit jealous of you because you have customers. We don't have any customers. We have the <laughs> perfect platform, but no, nothing in it. And yeah, so I don't know which one was best, but you must have had that situation at some point as well. And how did you navigate through that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good reason <laughs> this is now seven years old. So we went through a very long journey in the last seven years and we operated across 
different industries. So if I give you something completely left field, and we were helping a Fortune 500 company, which is a company called Media MIDEA. So the largest white goods manufacturer globally, and they produce they're very advanced in robotic, very advanced in IoT. So we build a recommendation capability for them, which plug into their mobile app. So, which was tremendously exciting at the times. So I guess what I'm trying to say is we have not say no when we, especially at the early days. So now I can say to you, I'm very specialized in business lending. I only do business lending. That was not the case when we started, right? Because you have no credentials or capability to say this is what I'm specializing. So I think at the start, we play with many data sets and as many as we can, and we get to an outcome. And I think gradually you build out your credentials, you build out your platform, you build out your capabilities, and then you can get to your bank. It's not easy to get to. I guess it's many steps of the journey to get there. Now, it's quite the typical uh, entrepreneur's journey, really, what you're describing. You're making me think of my own journey a few years back i started an online marketplace and for a while there a short while we actually ran an seo business because we became quite good at seo and we needed (laughs) some cash flow yeah we were doing that but it was also a big distraction from the main bit which was trying to establish this marketplace okay so now you have a company that that has some serious backing in terms of uh, the customers and that right so you described here a large regional bank and so on you also has partnerships across research, data, technology, and and implementation. What do these partnerships do for you? What role do they play and how do you leverage them? Yeah, sure. So RDC is still a small company, right? So we are relatively small. So for us to scale, we need a very strong partner network across different areas. I think you touched on. So if I I can talk through some of the partnership we we have in, in each of the category, and I will give you a sense around how we leverage our partners. And one is the research. So we're doing a lot of research with universities, especially University of New South Wales. And we actually have research on staff in, in the office constantly. And from AI perspective, the research, AI research we're doing with UNSW, UTS, and the CNU, and keeping us at the cutting edge, which are tremendously important for us. From data perspective, and there are many data providers in the industry who we partner with, such as CODAT, uh, so C-O-D-A-T. So they are a provider, for example, on open banking and also accounting data. So for us, that's making our life easier when the banks wanted to use alternative data to really looking at their existing customer or acquire new customers. So we partner with the data providers, which are important. And from technology-wise, and you might have seen we announced recently announced a quite exciting partnership with Encino, so Encino is not that well known in uh, Australia market. And they're actually a really worldwide leader in the business lending area and the business banking area. So they have 1,500 banks on, as the existing customers. They're listed in NASDAQ. They're very well respected and the lead, really leading in the business lending space. So the collaboration we have with Encino in terms of both product integration and also go to market and uh, so we sign a global reseller agreement so that means our product become part of the Encino suite of products under under a brand name called NIQ and they are also now started to re- 
actually sell our product into the, especially starting with North America market. So this type of partnership, I think, give us the ability to scale and scale quickly. And another one perhaps is important is the implementation partners. So we're not going to ramp up thousands of people to do the implementation of the platform. So we're working with people such as Accenture to do the implementation. So this whole partner ecosystem is the supporting us to really scale quickly. Mm-hmm. So basically to keep focus on the product, the core thing, which is the product you have, I think the, the, it sounds like the research component is is part of product development, really. Yeah. And see no deal is is you you're turning on a global sales force of sorts. Yeah. And then there's the technical implementation as well, which you're doing through various partners as well. So um yeah, I can see that that's quite a smart way to scale up quickly and get that scale. So when you are so focused on the core product. That gives you, I suppose, some peace and quiet in theory to really work on the core of your offering, assuming that everything else is taken care of. I know it's not at all that simple, but in a relative sense, it's less distraction. What are some of the elements of your core product or this sort of offering in the industry that you see that really will be a last differentiator for you versus what a bank can do in-house versus other offerings out there? that are similar to yours? So I think we are at starting of the AI journey across multiple industries, right? So if we're looking at, we get very, very excited with the recent launch of the GPT-4, for example, and because the recent capability behind AI started to exist and that could really challenge the industry. So for us to stay ahead of the competition, we do invest heavily into R&D. We do investing heavily into product and uh, we're differentiating, I think, why is on the business lending, how to solve the small data issue. We differentiate at the transparency and the expandability of the decisions. The other one we really often do is really helping the banks looking at their back book first and before they go to the front book. So back book are the existing customers. How do I optimize the, how I look after my existing customers? And uh, so in that sense, I'm understanding two things, right? Am I providing the right credit coverage or should I provide more? And are there er- any early warnings? Can I optimize my process for my existing customers? So that's the area we're often supporting the banks to do. And on the other side, is helping them to launch innovative products which were not in their portfolio before. And so I think these are the few key things we're differentiating in. But I think if you look at what economic forum, they say in the future, every business is AI business. And that's how I think the banks and every single business is going to compete on. I think we are at the starting of the journey and it's a quite exciting time ahead. Absolutely. My mum the other week called me and said, I was speaking to your uncle the other day and we were finding it so interesting that all the boys in the family worked with computers. And I said, well, (laughs) (laughs) we don't work in IT. Everyone has a computer to do their work. It's not, it's not (laughs) something new. And you're right in, in 20 years, everyone will be interacting and, and having some sort of augmented experience with AI in their day-to-day. Yeah, your mom will be saying, hey, uh, why all my boys are AI specialists <laughs> in yeah, 20 that, years that. time? <laughs> <laughs> now, Ada, it would be remiss of us to not just get an idea of the kind of uplift that you see when you apply your solution to 
an existing back book or a credit decisioning process. So could you give us a bit of an idea of what kinds of improvement you see in using your solution versus existing approaches, whether they're in-house or or other sort of similar offerings? So I'm thinking actually about quantified metrics like conditional approval rates, turnaround times to actually get offers to clients, the acceptance rates of clients, but also once the lending is established, arrears and default rates and all that stuff that banks also look at. Perhaps let me give a couple of examples. So one in terms of looking at the existing things, so the backbook existing customers. One thing the bank have to do in this market and also with also the same thing in the US market is they have to carry out a process called annual review. So it means the bank have to go back to look at the risk of every individual customers on an annual basis. It's a mandate by APRA. So that process is often very lengthy for the bankers. I think on average about eight hours per account and needs to be done. And it's also really often break the customer experience because as a business owner, I'll be coming to you. So I need to look at your account again. Could you please go to find all your financial statements, go to see your accountant, bring the paper back, and then let me have a look at how I can serve you. So it's very lengthy and the customer experience tends to be bad. The other thing interesting is tends to trigger customer to rethinking about their banking relationship as well because it's so clumsy and uh, and difficult. So what we were able to do is we able to use the banking transactions and uh, analyzing the pattern of the banking transactions and uh, help banks to treat about 30% of the populations and uh, as need minimum review. So it means the machine can go through the review and then make a recommendation and uh, the banker can decide to accept or reject and uh, without the banker going through the process. So for that, I think it's a significant productivity gain. And using a description, I think, from one of the bank we serve and saying that's also about winning the hearts and the minds of the bankers because bankers hate that whole process. It takes a lot of time from them and really service their customer. It's a very tedious process. The other one quite fascinating is to, when you ask for the financial accounts, and from the customer, the accounts tend to be 18 months old, right, at least, and because it's looking back. And in the current economic environment, what happened 18 months ago is really in no shape and form tells you what's happening in the business now. So I think you can see a process completely broken and we help banks to identify the opportunity to really save millions of dollars in the process. That perhaps is one example. And the second example is really looking at the credit coverage of the existing customers and identify opportunities when the customer desperately needing for funding and the, the banks can come to help. So if I give an example, for example, a retail business, they will be using a lot of funding during Christmas time and that you buy stocks and hire helps. And so you can see the cash flow really deeps, right? And you can see the cash balance deep and the cash flow deeps. And at that point of time, it's actually the time, if you see the prediction, the cash flow going to go back to be healthy from January and February, that's actually a point of needs for that customer. If the bankers equipped with the information around looking into the future, how the cash flow health for that customer can be over the next 12 months, that banker can have a very different level of discussion with that customer and to say, do you just need the money to buy stock? Should we put a lending facility in place to help you in December 
then start paying me back in January. So it's opened up a different level of conversations and bank can have. So the case we have seen is that also helps banks to provide millions of dollars of credit coverage and for these type of customers. Mm. So if I paraphrase what you're saying, you're actually bringing in some customization and sophistication and personalization to the customer, if you'd call that, in a space where there is actually not a lot of that. And it's pretty sort of everyone has to fit into the same square box, no matter what industry, shape or whatever you are, size and so on. That's probably not entirely true, but the size of the boxes is, is not varying across different industries and so on. And the opportunity here is to actually, within that box, find ways to still customize. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the uh, idea or concept of a glass box AR right, versus the traditional black box, which is probably what a lot of banks are scared of, uh, traditionally at least, right? which is we have to be able to say to our regulator, here is why we made the decision and here's why we either gave the credit or didn't give it. And there has to be good arguments for why credit was given, especially when, if and when an organization goes into to financial strife. This is, we're talking about now the bank, not the client necessarily. And these days, more and more executives of banks are can be personally at risk, financially liable, and, and also get prison sentences if there's been negligence in this space. So in other words, it's very common to be a little bit excited about AI and machine learning for credit decisioning, but also be a little bit scared about making mistakes inside it. How do you deal with that in terms of, was one, the technical aspects of providing this glass box, but also putting your direct customer, which is the bank, at ease that this is going to be okay and you, you can do this and it's reducing risk, not increasing it. Yeah, I think that's why I was describing a key product feature we have and of course self-describing decision, which capture each decision as a decision object and then all the model using within that decision all the rules apply for that decision is captured and stored. So this type of feature are expensive to hold and build and in many ways, right, it's a, because it's a large data set and it's, you hold it for a period of time. And this type of capability, I think, is what we really invested quite heavily into and for that precise reason. And unless the bank's team and especially credit team, level one, level two credit, unless they feel it's safe and secure, no matter how good the AI system is, they just can't use it. Yeah, so you, you really are able to, to verify so I assume here your your solution makes a recommendation, yes or no, or a or a range or quantity of how much lending could be given, and there is a, applied to that a series of decision points that that add up to that stack of lending that you might get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if I if I take that a little bit broader, this is a big question, and I'm so I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but. If you were to actually change the way we give credit in the industry, if you're able to break up with the the current rules and regulations, what would you take away from what we have and what would you put in instead to make the credit market more fluid, efficient, but still at least as risk averse, if not less, or or the ability to manage risk appropriately, I should say, rather than the aversion? Yeah, we we have a term we we tend to say uh, give credit when credit is due, right? So, and uh, closing the credit gap doesn't mean giving everyone credit unlimited credit, and it means when the credit 
the right credit is offered to the right customer at the right time and with the right control in place. So in that sense, I do see AI play such a critical role in driving the industry change. A lot of traditional rule-based capability are one uh, very, like exactly like you say, it's like a box. You need to fit into the box so you can, or you can't get credit. But if we can use some of this core capability now become available and then really have a deeper understanding of the behavior side and can help banks to safely adopting AI and use it responsibly, and uh, it's quite a different game altogether. So we do see AI drive some of the core changes we're going to see in the industry. We do see the adoption will increase over time. And we do see the excitement of using AI in the space. And also the discussion has now changed from initially, say, I think if I remember when we started seven years ago, is to say, oh, can your machine learning model beat the logistic regression model? So we're no longer having that type of conversations because it's, it's now given the AI model will be more accurate because we're taking the, there is a lot of experiment has been done and proven that is the case. And that the conversation is more moving to the responsible use of AI and the, the AI ethics and the transparency, expandability, and the, the whole bunch of things we, I think we touched on before. So are you seeing from a regulatory perspective as well that that path is, I suppose, opening up or that the right guardrails are being put in around, yeah, we should use AI as long as it has the right guardrails around transparency and, and ethics and, and bias prevention and so on? I think the, from a regulatory perspective, we haven't seen any rules around not using AI. So I think the regulators also wanted to see the efficiency and the, the strengths in the financial systems, right? So I think the key thing is still, I was at the event yesterday, we just launched, I think Australia is the first country launched the responsible AI network. So the whole drive is uh, it's driven out of CSIRO Data 61, and there is a nationwide initiative and to bring academia, government and industry together. So this type of initiatives and the start to really drive the AI usage across industries and driving the AI principles in terms of the responsible use of AI. So I think this type of advancement really will help us and to move forward as a country and as the economy. Yeah, great. Hi there, dear listener. I just want to quickly let you know that I have recently published a book with six other authors called Demystifying AI for the Enterprise, a playbook for digital transformation. If you'd like to learn more about the book, then head over to www.leadersofanalytics.com AI. Now back to the show. So if we play this out, and this is the classic crystal ball question, if we play this out, how do you see, in an ideal world, I suppose, how do you see AI helping credit decisioning for the, the small to medium business segment, I should say, in the next sort of five to 10 years? What does that experience look like when we go out five to 10 years? Yeah. So it's hard to say five to 10 years and because the AI advancement and from my perspective is quicker than I anticipated. And I'm looking at GPT-4, I'm super excited and because GPT-3 and when we look at chat GPT, we're still laughing at that a little bit. And in terms of it's more like, uh, I think uh, one of our advisory board members has the best description around chat GPT, saying it's a fantastic dinner guest you can have a good conversation with. <laughs> 
any topic and every topic, and you can't go too deep, but that ChatGPT can hold a conversation with you. ChatGPT4, uh, I think the key change there, we start to see reasoning capabilities, which was not, not quite there in GPT3. So in that sense, it's a little bit hard to say what where, where it's going to be in five to 10 years. And however, I think in the business learning domain, I still believe there is a role of human and uh, there's a hero of the bankers and in terms of the understanding of the business. And uh, in that sense, I see the human and the AI in harmony is the way to go. So AI can potentially do the things which traditionally need a lot of paperwork, needs a lot of processing, human processing to do, and uh, to enable bankers to spend more time with their customers. So the base, I haven't found the best description that, around that, but it's almost like a calculator for the bankers. So banker traditionally has to do all the calculation by hand. With calculators, they can do a lot more. With computers, they can do a lot more. I think AI will be the next stage and helping to take away a lot of time-consuming tasks for the bankers and for the bankers to more focusing on their customer in the human interaction layer. Yeah, I work in legal services and this is also what I talk to my colleagues about is you're not going to replace the lawyer. You're going to make the lawyer more human by taking away the robotic tasks that you have to do. And the large language models for me are, are opening a door all of a sudden that for us to interpret with much greater ease all the information that is not transactional or, or more um, structured in its nature, right? So a lot of this stuff I imagine that you've talked about in terms of data points is actually transaction-based, right? So it's structured data and so on. But that is often not the only thing you'd want to look at. It's letters, it's contracts, it's all these other things that could have some potential impact on the cash flow, right? If you're one of your clients assigned <laughs> yeah. there, a $20 million forward contract, then, well, hang on, maybe we could lend against that, that sort of thing. I'm just making yeah. up an example yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot in that, for sure. Yeah. Ada, we're at the end, pretty much. I have two questions left for you. The first one is to pay it forward by asking you who you'd like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why. Yeah. One, perhaps uh, globally, uh, some people find OpenAI could be quite interesting. I think everyone would love to hear that. And uh, locally, we also have some fascinating leaders in the domain, right? So if I give you a talk through a couple of people, Paul Compton is a professor out of University of New South Wales currently on our advisory board. And the poor is also had a school for me while I was in computer and engineering faculty. So poor is the gentleman who made the comments around uh, chat GPT is like a dinner guest. I think Paul will be quite fascinating. And uh, he's a pioneer in AI for Australia and uh, has actually published extensively and drive a lot of IP and the thinking in AI. So I think Paul will be fascinating. The other person I think come to mind is Lina Yao, who I was on a panel with uh, last week. So Lina is driving, uh, is part of CSIRO Data 61, also a professor for UNSW and Macquarie University. So Nina is driving a whole bunch of research in all different areas and in terms of help to use machine 
to have a sense of the environment and how to have a reasoning capability. And quite interestingly, how can AI start to do long-term planning, which is a little bit scary to think about. So I think Nina will be quite interesting as well. So there's a whole bunch of research I think we do in Australia are, are cutting edge world leading. So I think both Nina and Paul will be quite interesting guests. Great recommendations. Uh, I will definitely be reaching out to the two of them. So thank you for that. Lastly, where can people find out more about you and get in contact with you and RDC? Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. And, uh, yeah, you can find out on our website, so richdataco.com or on LinkedIn and uh, richdataco. And we also have a hashtag, future of credit. Great. So listeners, please do go and check that out. There is lots of fascinating stuff on the website. And I think when you look at the website, it got some visuals on there that might make you also get a little bit closer to how the product works. If it's not that clear for you, hopefully it is at this point in time. But uh, if you want to see uh, some visual versions of, of what we talked about here on the podcast, then that's definitely worth doing. Ada Guan, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics today. Really appreciate your time and sharing your, your personal story and also the story of Rich Data Co. There has been a, a lot of events in the journey of the company and it's morphed as it often happens for an entrepreneurial endeavor into what it is today. Congratulations on your success so far and I look forward to seeing what you can do in the next seven years from here. Thank you, Jonas, and I appreciate the opportunity. I really enjoyed the talk. Thank you. Hi, dear listener. Just a quick note from me before you go. If you enjoyed this show, then please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes via your favorite podcast app. I have loads more great stuff coming your way. Also, I'd love some feedback from you on this show. So please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you soon.